It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. We live in very stupid times. <laughs> and I'm not even talking about the news. <laughs> this is... <laughs> Ah, uh, so if you caught the podcast yesterday, this will make a lot more sense, but I had the cable folks come out and uh, run the cable so I could have the internet, so I could do the show. Uh, we did get the podcast up yesterday. I know it came up late. I apologize for that, but you can thank AT&T for it, uh, or a random tech company. Um, and uh, so I called uh, the local uh, cable company, Spectrum. They came out, they hooked everything up, and as we turned on all of the televisions to set the boxes and everything, um, it tripped all the circuits. All the circuit breakers flipped off as we turned on the uh, cable boxes. And <laughs> apparently, this is code. <laughs> this is in North Carolina. It is code to have your cable boxes turn off all of your outlets. That's the only thing I can decipher, considering that these little, what, arc interrupter something or others, not the GFI outlets, but th this is in the circuit breaker itself. This little circuit breaker trips when you have the cable box on and you turn on the television and then you go to another room on the same circuit and there are only two rooms on the circuit and you turn on another cable box and a television and it and it shuts all the receptacles down all of the outlets get turned off because it's too sensitive but this is code they have to put these in in north carolina it's bang up work oh and guess what this is going to be fun apparently uh next year the outlets the, or the uh, circuit breakers that are attached to your refrigerator, they're going to have this stupidity on them. And so all new uh, uh, circuit work, electrical work with the uh, for the fridge line, think about this. You're going to have a refrigerator like I plugged in a coffee pot on my counter and it it tripped the breaker. That's all it, it's the only thing on four outlets. There was one coffee machine, Mr. Coffee, and it trips the breaker and now nothing works. You got to go out to the garage, flip the switch, flip the breaker back on, and then take the coffee pot out, unplug it and move it to some other room in the house, apparently, but not a bedroom because it'll trip that circuit too. This is stupidity. Now they're going to put it on a refrigerator circuit. What's going to happen the first time, you know, family plugs in the fridge? Oh, we're so happy. And then they go on vacation. What are you going to do with everything when the, the food spoils in your fridge? Because it, it turned on to, uh, to start cooling or it started making a batch of ice. And all of a sudden now it trips the circuit. It's off. And people are gone for a month or a week or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't take vacations. How long do people go on vacation? Two weeks, right? They're gone. This is stupidity, people. Who's paying? Who is paying somebody for this? There's no other explanation for this. Somebody's getting paid. Someone has to be getting paid for this stupidity to become code. Oh my God. Anyway, welcome to the show. And uh, if you did listen to yesterday's podcast, uh, I started off by talking a little bit about the uh, the appearance that uh, noted anti-racist critical race theorist guy, 
Ibram X. Kendi, uh, the, the appearance that he made in front of 800 leaders in the Charlotte Mecklenburg school system via a uh, Zoom call. Did a Q&A with Sonia Gant, the former uh, TV uh, anchor, and uh, now she's uh, with the CMS Foundation, the Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools Foundation. And so she was the one who did the interview. She's also the daughter of Harvey Gant, the first black mayor of Charlotte. Um, he ran against Jesse Helms years ago for the U.S. Senate uh, seat as well in North Carolina. Anyway, uh, she did this interview. And in this interview, for you know all of these 800 school officials, leaders, principals, administrators, she says that they have been uh, studying Kendi's book for a year. <laughs> as part of their as part of their um, uh, summer reading or something or other. Well, I guess it's not summer reading because it's a whole year, uh, but they're their book club, I guess. And they've been reading this for a year. They've been studying how to be an anti-racist and they're doing the work. We're all in with you, Kendi. This is terrifying. 800 people on this Zoom meeting. So, you know, they are believers. They are believers, much like the patrons to this program. They're believers in me, like Nick and Catherine, Monica, Les, Mary, Eric, Peggy, Tavis, Kristen, Beth and Al, Kim, Eugene, Brian, and Jonathan. They're all patrons of the programs, and I want to give a shout out to the patrons. Thank you very much for uh, supporting the program. I do appreciate that. They became patrons at thepetecalendarshow.com, where you can also uh, remember subscribe. So I did not get to all of the audio from this uh, appearance that Kendi made for the Charlotte Mecklenburg school system. And I read largely from, uh, pulled some passages from the Charlotte Observer story, uh, but the WFAE story, it was basically the same. And it was, this one was written by Ann Doss Helms, who I know she was the education beat reporter for the Charlotte Observer while I was a reporter down there. And she, I guess, now works for WFAE. I'm unclear because they do sh they share resources, I think. So I'm not sure. But I think Ann now works for WFAE. I just found it kind of uh, funny that the articles in WFAE or at their website, uh, the public radio station and the Charlotte Observer written by a different reporter, they were very similar, like almost they, they had the same pull quotes that they used from the speech. They had the same framing, which is that, uh, you know, people were criticizing this and they didn't even see it. That was the <laughs> that was the nature of the focus. Like Phil Berger, the the uh, Senate, the state Senate leader, President Pro Tem Phil Berger, and the Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, they're Republicans, and they they were both you know highly critical of this appearance by Kendi. Uh, you know, and they were attacking him, but you know they never saw the thing. They never saw this event. And the only reason anybody got to see it, actually, is because freedom of information requests went out. And the only reason people knew to FOIA the CMS district was because of some local moms group who get a bit of a smarmy reference in the, the local coverage. You know, it was a moms group prompted outrage. Well, yeah, they also prompted stories. They prompted reporters to take a look at this. And I did come across a... Uh, there was a, or I, I got a press release from Phil Berger's office, 
And I mean, this went out to everybody. And uh, he had a link to a piece that I've got here as well by Andrew Sullivan. But I thought this was pretty interesting. Oh, hang on. I'm getting old. I got to put on my glasses now. It says, uh, we've had a lot of conversations with reporters about critical race theory and social justice recently. Some brush off the controversy as just another culture war and pay the underlying substance little mind. That is understandable if somewhat jaded, uh, a, a somewhat jaded position to hold. But it's much more than that, and it deserves your attention. Um, They then quote, uh, or his office, this press shop, uh, they quote Kevin Drum, formerly of the far-left publication Mother Jones, who said, quote, For God's sake, please don't insult my intelligence by pretending that wokeness and cancel culture are all just figments of the conservative imagination. There are a lot of people in the media right now, at the local level, who are pretending that everything that we are seeing we're not seeing, and that all of this is some sort of a boogeyman created by the right. I can tell you, I have been paying attention to this stuff. Talk radio listeners have been paying attention to this stuff for over a decade. We, we used to mock it. We used to make fun of the, the college kids with their cry closets, their safe spaces, their trigger warnings, uh, their cancellation of ideas they don't like, their die-ins, right? All of their intolerance. We would make fun of them because we thought, stupidly, once they get out of college, then they hit the real world and they will be disabused of these stupid ideas. But no, uh, actually, they have now infected the entire society with their stupidity. It's all over the place. (laughs) And so uh, jokes on us. I apologize. But we've been covering this stuff for a decade. And I understand why people on the left might be hesitant to chastise or criticize their allies. I get it. I totally do. But um, this is pretty important stuff. This is not simply about uh, partisan politics. Yes, there is some partisan politics going on, but that's not only what's going on. So we're going to get into more of the audio and uh, Andrew Sullivan's piece first. You need to get into a mattress. uh, Well, I guess on top of a mattress from Mattress Man. You really do. Uh, They got great deals coming this summer, too, with like cooling technology. I've said too much already, but just stay tuned for that. Um, You can also get a free box spring with a uh, purchase of a uh, Biltmore Collection mattress because Mattress Man is an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection. Uh, These are made by Restonic. Maximum adjustability, five support zones for proper spinal alignment, so you get optimal balance of pressure point relief and support. And what that means is a more restorative and healthier sleep. You're welcome. And also, why wait for a new mattress? You can pick one up. Synchrony Finance offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. They have tons of flexible financing options as well. So just head over to mattressmanstores.com and click the financing link at the top, and you can apply and get pre-approved before you even go into the store. You can do it right now. I'll wait. Just do it. Go ahead right now. Are you doing it? I don't think you're doing it. Okay. Anyway, five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, locally owned and operated, four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So here is Ann Doss Helms' story at WFAE. 
Uh, org. Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools has released video of an anti-racism presentation that two top North Carolina Republicans called dangerous and divisive without having seen it. The district's decision to pay. Well, that's the thing. You don't need to be you don't need to have seen this video. All you need to know is that Ibram X. Kendi was the speaker. He was the subject of the Q&A. And if you know Kendi then you know it is dangerous and divisive because that's what he espouses. This is his spin on critical race theory. This is the latest iteration of it, his anti-racism ideology. It's basically a religion. John McWhorter wrote about it. Hopefully I'll get to that as well. Um, The district's decision to pay him $25,000 to speak caused the latest flare-up over how educators talk about racism. Superintendent Ernest Winston hired Kendi as the keynote speaker for the Summer Leadership Conference in June after hundreds of CMS uh, administrators spent a year studying his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. When Republican Senate leader Phil Berger and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson heard about the appearance and the $25,000 speaking fee, they issued a news release last week saying CMS is endorsing divisive, dangerous, and discriminatory ideas. Yes, because they've been reading his book for a year. <laughs> oh, no, let me guess. Uh, they've been looking at it critically. Oh, yeah, sure. Look, one one minute watching Sonia Gant do this interview, and it is very clear that this is not some sort of gotcha interview going on here, <laughs> right? They paid him to come for an interview. They paid him to do a Q&A, which is kind of amazing. Why wouldn't you just do a speech? If I'm paying you $25,000 for an appearance, why is this a Q&A? Maybe that's what CMS wanted. I don't know. And then they could get, you know, questions from their principals, because that's who asked these questions. Principals, administrators, and the like. Um, she uses the same, Andos Helms uses the same quote that was uh, pulled for the Charlotte Observer article, uh, where he talks about, you know, the greatest thing about humans and potentially the most difficult thing about humans is that we're deeply complex. I know this is real brilliant stuff here. He's communicating. Um, And he says, you know, we use the terms racism and racist interchangeably when we should not. Same quote. Also the same quote. When someone is saying we should not teach kids, white kids, that they inherently uh, are oppressors, I'd be like, I agree. That's not what we're trying to teach. The news or the Charlotte Observer pulled this same quote as well. So Kendi was asked about critical race theory, which both of these reports point out they didn't really talk a lot about critical race theory. So like these Republicans, they're all up in arms about critical race theory. And it really only came up for like two minutes. You know, that's that's all they that all the time they spent on just like two minutes wasn't even that big of a deal. So here is the the part where they talked about critical race theory. Well, well, I think, well, critical race theory was developed by legal scholars and lawyers uh, largely in the 1980s uh, and and to examine the so-called race-neutral structures, laws, policies in our society that were either growing or maintaining racial inequity and injustice. And what's ironic, you know, is that Critical race theory is largely taught in law schools, (laughs) but you have local um, people 
who are sort of demonizing critical race theory in order to get the the, the way in which history is taught differently. <laughs> okay. Yes, critical race theory originated in law schools, but then it also broke containment from Harvard Law and became more widespread thanks to Kimberly Crenshaw, the intersectionality arguments, where everybody gets to tear down all of the institutions because they're not just racist, they're patriarchal, right? They're cisnormative, they're transphobic, they're, um, trying to think of what are the other ones... Well, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, uh, they're sexist. They're not just racist. It's all of the above. So you could be all of these different things, and the intersectionality allows this all to be under the one umbrella. That's Crenshaw, who was one of the students of Derrick Bell at Harvard University, where this came from. So people on the left, these progressives and these anti-racism, critical race theory guys like Kendi and Ta-Nisi Coates, right, they're all, and Nicole Hannah-Jones, they're all like, whoa, no, no, this is critical race theory. This is a very limited thing, this tiny little legal theory, and that's all it is. Now, there was critical legal studies, CLS, and that gave birth to critical race theory. And now here we are with the anti-racism and you got Robin DiAngelo's white fragility. All of these sort of this constellation of philosophy all came from critical race theory. So what they're trying to do, they're lying to you is what they're doing. They're lying. They're saying they're gaslighting. They're saying what you are hearing and seeing and the, the, the obvious attempts uh, at uh, uh, infecting curriculum with this philosophy is not really what's happening. No, no, no. You're just reading. We're just teaching, you know, history. That's all. How could you be a against teaching history and it's not simply teaching history it's teaching that all of the systems of this nation are inherently systemically corrupted and evil and irredeemable you are then required to tear it down this is what you are called to do from the very beginning i've been talking about this for gosh i don't even know three years yeah, about three years, four years, you are called upon to tear down the institutions because of their inherent racism. And if you are not engaged in that work, then you are obviously supporting those institutions. And that makes you a racist. And people don't like being called racist. <laughs> generally, generally speaking, people don't appreciate that. Um, all right, let me pick this back up again. This is again, Kendi at the CMS uh, event. All right, so it's, you know, that, that that's what's sort of ironic to me. You know, critical race theories, theorists, certainly they use history like all, you know, other theorists, but it's largely a, a legal sort of theory. Uh, okay, hang on. I made this point yesterday. He's trying to say it's a legal theory. It's all just legal. It's these lawyers. Again, who makes the laws, Kendi? Who makes the laws? Lawmakers do. A lot of times they're lawyers, but elected leaders, legislative bodies. And you know who makes the law? When it comes to K through 12 curricula, lawmakers do very good. Lawmakers, they create policies, they create the rules, the regulations that you say are all racist. And then you cite all of the historical laws and policies to prove, according to you, that America is inherently racist. So you're tr he's trying to cleave history from the law. And I don't think he does a very good job of it. He's not persuasive to me, at least, but I acknowledge I'm a tad biased here. Trained, uh, or I should say, uh, utilized by, law by lawyers. Um, and 
you know, but again, I, I think that it, it is unfortunate that we are even debating or arguing about whether we should teach our young people about racism in a society where racial inequities are rampant. Yeah, we're not debating that, actually. This is, once again, what critical race theorists do. This is the gaslighting. I don't believe you just don't want to teach about racism. How could you say such a thing? No, we're not saying such a thing. And then Sonia Gant asks him this question. You know, we heard this morning from our superintendent that there hasn't been buy-in across the entire district (laughs) about this journey of our school district moving toward an anti-racist organization. And I think that gets to a question that was shared by a principal. How do we, as anti-racist leaders, work with and lead others who are racist and hold racist beliefs and refuse to give up who they are at their core? There you go. So don't tell me that this isn't a dangerous philosophy. Did you just hear that question? They they are all in. The superintendent of the school district, Ernest Winston, former Charlotte Observer reporter, used to be just the education beat reporter when I was a reporter down there. Um, and um, he is, that's kind of weird too, I just realized that, and Doss Helms, because Ernest came and worked alongside Ann Doss Helms for a while. And now she covers education and he's the superintendent. It's weird. Anyway, he didn't have any experience as a superintendent. Anyway, doesn't matter. He's a, he's a super now. And uh, they're on this journey to be an anti-racist organization. But their work is being jeopardized. It's being undermined by these racists. And they are not on board. What do we need to do? They're not willing to change their core beliefs. What do we do with these people? First off, I don't know if you're a racist working in the school district, maybe you should be fired. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just like, seriously, like, should we be employing racists to go teach kids? No, right? I, I Seriously, like, I'm, I'm thinking no would be the answer there, but uh, I'm not so sure because I've seen some of the stuff that people are saying, some teachers are saying, seem pretty racist to me. I mean, not racist in a sense like, you know, white supremacy racist, but the other way. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, I just think like if you've worked, if you're working alongside all of these racists, then maybe CMS is a racist organization. <laughs> think about what these people are admitting to, what they're saying they are, the organizations they belong to and they work in. They're telling you that they think all of this stuff around them and all the people around them, they're all racist. Why would we be funding these? This is actually a huge argument for defunding k-12 education my god it's packed with racists we shouldn't be funding racism in our schools now uh, i will say you should be funding uh your outdoor equipment budget because if you have a house and you have to do battle with mother nature in the yard then uh you need the tools you need the weapons and uh the best weapons, Husqvarna, Honda, these are the best weapons you're going to go out and do battle with, and you can get them at General Equipment Rental. Yeah, you can buy them there. They got great deals. They are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Everything from chainsaws and trimmers and hedge clippers, and they got the auto mower that rides around and just cuts your grass so you don't have to. For real, it's like yeah, it's smart technology. You control it with your smartphone. Um, you can also get gas-powered 
tools, battery-powered tools. Uh, they've got commercial equipment. Uh, if you're looking to rent equipment, you can get 10% off your first rental. At General Equipment Rental, they're in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, family-owned and operated for three generations. Tell them you heard it here on the show. And whatever the project, General Equipment Rental has the tool that you need. GeneralRents.com. That's GeneralRents.com. Come and think outside your toolbox. So, Sonia Gann asks this question, what do we do about the racists? And Kendi replies, look, hey, people who refuse to listen, uh, it's just like dealing with someone who's an addict, right? They got to come to their moment of clarity all on their own. Uh, they're not going to respond just being lectured to by us. But when it comes to policy, he says, there's a different approach that officials should be taking. Let's say if I'm at a, you know, a, a school district meeting and somebody is standing up and I'm on the school board and someone is saying we should not teach uh, kids, white kids, that they are inherently oppressors. I'd be like, I agree. And that's not what we're trying to teach. <laughs> Uh, they say we should not teach that the nation and all of its institutions are inherently and eternally racist. I'd say I agree. <laughs> That's actually not what we're trying to teach either. Uh, and so, in other, in other words, I would really try to draw out what these people are afraid of. Like, what are the things that they claim they should not teach? Are you saying we shouldn't teach our students that the racial groups are equals? Are you stating that we should not teach students about the existence of structural racism? Okay, if you believe we shouldn't teach students about the existence of structural racism, then what should we teach them about why racial inequity exists? So here's the key. So, and I went over this yesterday, the disparate outcomes, that's the equity argument. Whenever you can find differences of outcome, then you can say, oh, that's racism. Um, so that, that's part of it. Um, but what Kendi is doing, this, this is vocabulary manipulation. This is, and this is why dealing with people like this in this argument, um, it is like punching smoke. Okay, it is a form of psychological abuse to some extent because uh, the man the manipulation of the language in order to and the lying in order to uh, to you know drag you away from this concern that you have when you hear these things. Like for example, um, meritocracy equals whiteness. That is one of the things that kids are being taught. Remember a couple of years ago, we laughed and laughed. Oh my God, the Smithsonian! These people are like supposed to be really really smart, and they published this whole list of things that uh, are associated with, quote, whiteness. Things like punctuality, good grammar. Yeah, things like meritocracy. You know, if you work hard, you'll get ahead. Sort of things like that. Like the, the foundational, civilizational, societal uh, mores, if you will, right? These are the things that, uh, that animated our society. And uh, if you did these things, we found over the course of trial and error in human history that, you know, here's the free market, here's capitalism. And if these, you know, and, and people, if you, you know, you, you try to do good by each other, you follow the law, you, uh, you work hard, you'll get ahead, you'll have a successful life. And we all can benefit. Right. Then the liberal order was that uh, we keep on making more and more progress towards uh, the full recognition of our ideals that all people are created equal. We are equal under the law. Right. Where we haven't been in the past. We all acknowledge that that wasn't the case in the past. But what Kendi is arguing and what Derek Bell and the critical race theorists, what their argument rests upon was 
that the liberal order no longer works because these um, the racism still exists now. And for all of the good that the civil rights movement did, it wasn't enough. And the only gains that it made was because the white people said, okay, we'll give that to you. But that's it. It was a way to maintain control. Everything is seen like that. And when you understand what Kendi is at heart, which is an anti-capitalist, talks a lot about anti-racism, but he's an anti-capitalism. Here's a direct quote from this is Kendi's book, according to the release. He advocates an overthrow, a death by unnatural causes of the economic system that has generated more wealth and progress than any in the history of the world. Um, he's, uh, he wrote, capitalism is essentially racist. Racism is essentially capitalist. They shall one day die together from unnatural causes. That's what he's about, folks. This is the purpose, the tearing down of the institutions, all of them, all of the institutions that gird this American project. And you can get at all of them through this theory, through this ideology, through this religion is what it is, through this religion. Um, Sonia Gant then reads portions of the proposed North Carolina law against that seeks to prevent this kind of critical race theory, anti-racism, white fragility, postmodernist racial essentialism from being taught in K-12 education. And she reads portions of the law. She kind of makes a hash of some of it, though. And it seemed like Kendi had never heard of like the specific uh, language from our law. And he asks her to repeat it at one point, And then she kind of paraphrases and gets some of it wrong. And it's important here to be precise because it is actually the law that is being proposed here, um, which is that public school units shall not, so school districts, shall not promote the following concepts. Okay, not mention, not teach, right? Not examine, but shall not promote the following concepts. Number one, one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. I think we could all agree with that. Number two, an individual solely by virtue of his or her race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. Okay, can't do that, cannot promote that idea. Number three, an individual should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment solely or partly because of his or her race or sex, right? So you can't discriminate against somebody that you're not allowed to promote that concept. You also cannot promote the concept that an individual's moral character is necessarily determined by his or her race or sex. You also cannot promote the concept that an individual solely by virtue of his or her race or sex bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. And finally, you cannot promote the concept that any individual solely by virtue of his or her race or sex should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress. And on that point, Kendi responded, but he, like I said, he seemed to be a little bit confused, I think, by the language because Sonia Gant had made a hash of it. So here was his response. The irony about that is black students, Latinx students, native students, Asian students are commonly distressed and uncomfortable <laughs> uh, when we teach history in the way that we've normally taught it in this country for centuries. And, and so, but 
And so that's the irony is that, okay, like, so are you saying that black parents now can organize to basically say that when you erase our history or when you only talk about, you know, slavery as happy-go-lucky, but what? Um, that distresses my child. So yes. therefore, are yeah. you saying we can now organize to get that changed? Yes. Hang on a second. Yes, absolutely. You should. You And I think they have, right? I mean, that has happened. That's why... History doesn't teach like history classes and teachers don't teach that. What did he say there? That slavery is happy as to talk about slavery as happy go lucky. Who talks about it like that? Uh, maybe somebody people have some teachers have. I I've never I've never encountered a single person actually ever in my lifetime in all of my discussions about the Civil War, about slavery, slavery, United States history or anything. I've never heard anybody refer to slavery as some happy-go-lucky kind of atmosphere or environment. I, I, I don't know what he's talking about there. Um, but to answer his question, yes, if your kids are being discriminated against in the curriculum, you should absolutely bring that forward and get that changed, much like parents are doing right now. So, yes, they, they, they think that this is some sort of like, oh, my gosh, you guys are totally going to, uh, you know, self-own here. It's like a boomerang. You're throwing it. It's going to come back and hit you in the face like, oh, you guys are you're in for it now. You're going to get what you deserve because you're going to get this thing through. Like, I am OK with anybody like your kids should not be made to feel inferior or uh, responsible for things that some other people did that just happened to share the same skin color or ethnicity. No, your kid shouldn't be made to feel guilty for that. Wh- who would who would say that? <laughs> who would make that argument? Who would say such a thing? Like who would say that, you know, you go to somewhere else besides old Grouch's military surplus for your um, military surplus needs? I wouldn't. I would say you go to Old Grouch. Of course I would. Um, He's got ammo cans. He's got gun accessories. He's got backpacks and MREs and duffel bags and uh, thermal blocking camo netting. He's got camp stoves and canteens and rain ponchos and maps and uh, lots and lots and lots of clothing and maps. He's got the first responder kit with like more than 350 components in these kits. Um, So you'll be able to handle all kinds of medical events and emergencies. These are great for scout troops and sports teams, school groups, small businesses. Everybody should have a first responder kit. Get one at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. So one of the other things, though, that he says here, well, uh, besides the happy-go-lucky thing, he says, like, when you erase our history, uh, who, who is erasing history? No one is arguing against telling the truth and going over all of the historical events and such. Nobody is making that argument. Nobody. You know, and I, you know, in many ways, I think in many states, if we read the letter of the laws, in many cases... It's, it's, it's actually giving those who want an equitable and just educational experience grounds <laughs> to make transformation. Okay, fine. D- then, then use it. So then why are you opposing it? <laughs> I oppose it. All right. If it's going to, this is the same, this is the same conundrum. This is what I mean when I talk about psychological abuse. It's the same thing. Like, oh, critical race theory isn't even in the schools. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, by the way, we have to keep critical race theory in the schools. How dare you try to take it out, right? They're gaslighting here. Um, 
Then uh, one principal asked for, they wrote their questions in, Sonia Gant uh, asked it, uh, asked for strategy. Um, he, and they say, you urge us to focus on systems. Uh, so where do we begin, though, in a complex system? What do we do? Do we go for a big win? And do we hope that it just trickles down? Um, or do we go for like small, quick victories in order to try to build momentum towards, you know, utopia and the workers paradise? Kendi says, yes. <laughs> all of that. Just do all of it. Focus on wh- where you are and do what you can in your position. Everybody in the educratic uh, establishment, the bureaucracy, everybody needs to get on board and we can make utopia happen. Uh, he said he was asked also, uh, where, what kind of school do you look to send your child? Okay, because he's a dad now. He's an anti-racist uh, uh, crusader here. Uh, so where would you want to send your daughter? And he says he wants his daughter to attend a school with a large population of black students and uh, black teachers. He wants his daughter to be taught by black teachers. And he wants a multicultural curriculum, a restorative justice disciplinary philosophy. So if a student misbehaves, there isn't like a punishment so much as there's like a conversation about the harm that you were doing. And then they can learn rather than be punished immediately for doing something. Uh, He also wants, you know, the social and emotional learning. And what he outlines here is actually a really good argument for school vouchers. It is. Blow up the K-12 model. It's broken beyond repair. If you're not getting this, it's a racist institution. All the teachers are racist. There's not enough black teachers for black students. Then blow it up. Give the money to the parents. Let the money follow the kid. And the parents can and kids can go to the schools where they can get the kind of education they want. Like, I don't have any problem. Look, you want to go and and go to, you know, Kate uh, or a CRT high You know, you want to go to Derrick Bell Junior High School or whatever. You want to go to Kendi Elementary. Do it. I'm totally fine with that. But you should not be forcing everybody else to do so as well. Everybody should have the choice to send their kid where they want to go. See, that's just, that's the libertarian in me. It just makes the most amount of sense. And by the way, it's the same sort of system that the left argues for health care. Well, when they're not arguing for universal pay, like, yes, they want government control of it all. But Medicare, when they're like Medicare for all, like that's the same kind of idea here. It's a voucherized program. Why not just do that? Um, Speaking of programs, there's the Homes for Heroes program. This is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25 percent back from the realtor commissions if they are in one of the following five professions, education, healthcare, the military, police or fire and then you get to keep some of your own money and that's fantastic so if you're trying to buy or sell and you want to go through this homes for heroes program and you're in the Asheville area well there's only one real estate agent that you can use because there's only one realtor that is part of the homes for heroes program in Asheville and that is Rowena Patton they only pick one per area and they picked her uh, and have for gosh a decade now give her a call at 828-333-4483 or go to her website mountainhomehunt.com give her a call and then start packing I mentioned uh, earlier that school districts were like, uh, no, we, sh- we were totally not teaching critical race theory, but we're totally going to teach it. And how dare you trying to stop us from teaching it? Uh, I'm not kidding. This is actually a resolution that the uh, Durham City Council passed after the Durham School Board adopted 
a, a resolution opposing that piece of legislation, House Bill 324. And uh, so the school board says, we're against that. How dare you? And here's what the city council says, whereas in their resolution, and I'm just going to give you two or three bullet points here. It says the city of, because there's a bunch of whereases, but it says, whereas the city of Durham affirms the dignity and humanity of each of our residents and the right of every resident to be free from discrimination and harm due to their race, whereas the city of Durham is committed to the work to eliminate racial bias and racial disparity and create a more just and equitable world. Well, how can you be free from discrimination if you're working for a more equitable world? Because in order to achieve equity, this is what I mean by the corruption of the language, because equity requires there to be some form of discrimination. This is what Kendi talks about in his book when he talks about how uh, in order to uh, correct past discrimination, we have to engage in future and present discrimination. That's how you make things equitable. You discriminate. You say, well, you know, you're a white guy and all those white guys in all those years before, like they had some advantages over these other people. And so therefore, uh, we're going to give these other people the advantages and we're going to not give them to you instead. And so that is discrimination. And you could say it's justified. I'm not getting into like the uh, uh, the ethics of it. I'm just saying it is at its core discriminatory. That's the purpose. And so whenever you engage with critical race theorists, they and usually the cop out like that guy from the public radio station that I argued with on Twitter, that moron, he was like, well, sometimes, you know, equality sounds a lot like discrimination to the oppressors. Oh, my God. No, it's still discrimination. Like it is all. And again, you can argue, like, for example, affirmative action. That was discriminatory. And you can argue that that was necessary to right historical wrongs. Right. Because that was the argument. But you cannot argue it's not discriminatory. So when people say that this philosophy is discriminatory and then you have the critical race theories, uh, theorists that defend it saying, oh, no, it's not. They're lying to you. Okay, there's just no other way to say they're lying to you. Now, therefore, they say, be it resolved, the Durham City Council calls upon our state and federal representatives to work towards the immediate opposition to House Bill 324 and work to ensure black history and critical race theory is included in our students' public school education. So they're saying you should be working to include it. And number one, encourage our local, state and federal staff uh, to have access uh, yeah, and have access to racial equity trainings and the ability to explore critical race theory. So not only do they want it in the schools, they, are, they want all of the state governments, all of the local governments, all of the county, city, all everybody. They want and the federal. They want everybody to have access to the trainings, to the struggle sessions. That's what's going on there. Um, And so then, of course, the Republicans denounced that. But I got to get to this because I talked about it yesterday. And I also mentioned it again today. John McWhorter and this I actually so this is how I know I've been talking about this for so long, because when John McWhorter wrote this piece, I actually went over it on my old radio show. The headline uh, is this was at the Daily Beast published in 2015. Almost six years ago to the day, July 27, 2015, headline, Anti-Racism, Our Flawed New Religion. And he says, anti-racism, it's seriously, he says it it merits capitalization at this point. He says, it is, uh, is now what any naive, unbiased anthropologist would describe as a new and increasingly dominant religion. Um. Many books, articles, and speeches from priests like Tanisi Coates 
Ibram Kendi, Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, Robin D'Angelo. Um, he calls these the equivalent of sermons, right? The audience is not seeking counsel. They want proclamation. That's why CMS would pay $25,000 to bring the priest in. They want to hear him preach it. One hearkens to one's preacher to keep telling the truth and also to make sure we hear it often, since many of its tenets are easy to drift away from, which leads us to the next evidence that anti-racism is now a religion. It is inherent to a religion that one is to accept certain suspensions of disbelief. Certain questions are not to be asked, or if asked, only politely, and the answer one, uh, and the answer one gets, despite being somewhat half-cocked, is to be accepted as doing the job. For example, one is not to ask, why are black people so upset about one white cop killing a black man when black men are at much more danger of being killed by one another? Not supposed to ask that question. Or one might ask this, very politely, of course, upon which the answers our flabby but further questions are unwelcome. A common answer is that, you know, black communities do protest black on black violence. That's true, they do. I've been to many of the marches and press conferences and candlelight vigils. But anybody knows the outrage against white cops is much, much vaster, right? And this was, again, from 2015, so before George Floyd. One is not to question, and people can be quite explicit about that. For example, in the conversation about race that we are told that we have to have all the time, the tacit idea here is that black people will express their grievances and whites will agree. Again, no questions, or at least not real ones. White people who do object to any black claims about racism are intolerably mistaken and barely worth engagement. And to say that one is not to question is not to claim that no questions are ever asked. He says the political right quite readily asks questions uh, and uh, they question anti-racism's tenets. Key, however, is that among anti-racism adherents, those questions are tartly dismissed as inappropriate and often predictably as racist themselves. The questions are received with indignation that one would even ask them in the first place, with a running implication that their having been asked is a symptom of, yes, racism's persistence. The anti-racism religion it has a clergy, it has a creed, and it even has the concept of original sin. Note the current idea that the enlightened white person is to, I assume, regularly acknowledge that they possess the white privilege. Remember, that's how a lot of this started. People would always start off by saying, no, I know I have white privilege. And then they would you know, begin their comments. Um, nominally, he says this acknowledgement of white privilege is couched as a prelude to activism. But in practice, the acknowledgement itself is treated as the main meal. Skipping ahead here, it's a very lengthy piece. He says, the call for people to soberly acknowledge their white privilege as self-standing, a totemic act, is based on the same justification as acknowledging one's fundamental sinfulness is as a Christian. One is born marked by original sin. To be white is to be born with the stain of unearned privilege. And anti-racism is all about a judgment day. In a sense, equally mesmerizing and mythical, anti-racist scripture includes a ritual reference to, as it were, the great day when America owns up to or comes to terms with structural racism. Note that acknowledge is a term just as appropriate and finally, well, fixes it somehow. But, you know, how would a country as massive and heterogeneous and politically fractured as America ever arrive at so conclusive and overarching a policy as 
fixing racism, like either psychologically or structurally. Right? The whites out there are, after all, such incorrigible heathens. Just what were we assuming would change their minds all of a sudden? Tablets from on high? Like, what precisely is anybody specific, uh, specifying, he says, in calling for America as a whole to finally wake up to its racism? W- what would this coming to terms even entail anyway? You ever notice they, they keep talking about this, and Kendi does in this CMS appearance, too. He talks about, like, oh, people didn't think that slavery would end, and then, you know, five years later, boom, it's it's ended. Like, that's how quickly it can happen, and so we'll get to that, too. That's going to be the same thing with, with anti-racism, and people won't be racist anymore. Like, well, how? What, what, what happens that all of a sudden all the racism is gone? Nobody ever, nobody ever kind of explores that, but I suspect it's because of La Révolution. I do. I believe that what he's talking about there is the overthrow of the bourgeoisie, the the, right, the the ruling class. And then somehow or another, the socialist utopia takes over and capitalism is destroyed um, along with racism. It's all it's all one big, you know, uh, rapture. Again, this is just my interpretation of what they've been preaching. <laughs> now, I have always been preaching the importance of a good roof. Everybody needs a good roof over their head. And if you've got a house, do you even know? I guess I should start there. Do you even know how old your roof is? Start by, all right, how old is your house? If, you know, your house is more than like 15 years old, (laughs) then uh, chances are it's probably the original roof on there. Do you know how long your roof can last? The biggest issue in the western part of North Carolina here is the straight line winds. It's not even really the hail. Um because hail is pretty rare uh, around these parts, but the straight line winds that come through the mountains, you know, around the mountains and the valleys and stuff, they'll get under your shingles and they'll lift up the roofing shingles. And so you can look up there and you can see these don't look straight. So call my friends at Balkan Roofing. They will come on over and they'll take a look at your roof. And maybe it's just a couple of shingles that got out of alignment and they'll fix them for you. And that's easy. Um, maybe it's a bigger repair job. They can actually fix the shoddy work that all these other guys, these chucks in a truck and Tommy tank tops that they drive all around. They're like, yeah, fix your roof. And then they like do more damage. I've seen pictures. I have seen a picture. I'm not kidding. Of duct tape. They use duct tape on a roof. Like, that's not going to hold, guy. Um, and so, look, Balkan Roofing, they've got great repair teams. They go out and they fix all of the work that these other guys do. So give them a call. Have them come out. Take a look at the roof. And if you do need a new roof, you can get one for as low as $69 a month. Great people. Family-owned and operated. Third-generation roofers. Uh, give them a call at 628-0390. That's 628-0390. Balkanroofing.com. That's B-A-L-K-E-N roofing.com. So back to this John McWhorter piece. Again, this is from six years ago where he's arguing that anti-racism is a religion. And uh, he says, what's wrong? I mean, people should be proud of this, right? I mean, what's wrong with being profoundly committed to seeing all people as equal and calling for more people to feel the same way? Like in itself, nothing, of course. And the prevalence of anti-racism today is welcome in other ways as well. The very fact that white America today cherishes this religion is evidence that Tahanisi Coates's particular pessimism about America and race is excessive, right? This is the irony here is that the very fact that you have all of these people engaged in the work against racism and such, doesn't it lay bare the lie that America is just chock full of racists, <laughs> right? If this is this mentality, this religion is sweeping through the institutions then 
are they really racist? If hatred and dismissal of black people were really still as much the bedrock of this society as Coates and Kendi and others seem to think, then anti-racism's uh, anti-racism would not be the new religion of enlightened white America. And uh, it encourages this idea that racism in its various guises, anti-racism does, encourages the idea that racism in its various guises must be behind anything bad for black people, which is massively oversimplified. For example, it is thrilling to see the fierce, relentless patrolling assisted by social media that the young black activists covered in a New York Times magazine piece have been doing to call attention to cops abuse of black people that problem is real and must be fixed as I have written about frequently he says often to the irritation of the political right however imagine if there were a squadron of young black people just as bright just as angry and relentless devoted to smoking out the bad apples in poor black neighborhoods once and for all in alliance with the police forces often dedicated to exactly that I fear we'll never see it. Anti-racism creed forces attention to the rogue cops, regardless of whether they are the main problem or not. The fact is that anti-racism as a religion pollutes our race dialogue as much as any lack of understanding by white people about their privilege. For example, the good anti-racist supports black claims that standardized tests are racist in that black people don't do as well on them as other students. But anti-racism also encourages us to ask why, oh, why black people are suspected of being less intelligent than others. They don't see any, they don't see any contradiction, by the way, in adopting these two arguments. And by the way, Kendi, in that CMS appearance, he gave an example of Boston public schools suspending its test, its admissions testing for students because of COVID last year. And they ended up with the most diverse student population. And he cited this as a good thing. So what they're actively doing is trying to tear down the concept of meritocracy, which they which they pin to, quote, whiteness. They lump all white. Yeah, which is kind of like, that's kind of bigoted as well, folks. That's kind of prejudicial as you, you see white people as all the same. And so you lump all white people together into this like culture that we all have this same culture or something and that's kind of bizarre i've met plenty of white people that are never on time so punctuality is not a symptom of whiteness as they say anyway that is a wrap for this episode i'm about to run over my own timeline here so uh thanks for listening and don't break anything while i'm gone